welcome to this media boat podcast. It is December 2021, believe it or not. Specifically, the 4th of December. This is episode 307, I believe. 308. 308. That was one off. One off. Um, if you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, we are a podcast that brings you news and thoughts about media, including movies, television, video games, and music, not necessarily in that order. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Welcome to December. Uh, this is... End of the year time. Yeah. We made it. We made it to the end of 2021. Almost. We have about 27 days left, but hey. Uh, but who's counting? Who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> but hey, yeah. Uh, so uh, if you've made it this long with us, you know that this is the time of the year where we do the Media Boat Podcast wrap-up episodes. This is not one of them. This is a regular episode of the show. But in your feed soon, there will be four Five, I mean, five podcasts coming into your ears that will wrap up the year that was. If you, you're new to the concept, uh, what we do is we do one each for each segment of the show. So we have a podcast talking about movies, television, video games, music. Maybe in that order, actually. Who knows? Maybe. And then, um, then one final fifth episode that wraps up by just, just kind of like putting a nice little bow on everything for 2021. Yeah. yeah, wraps up not just stuff that we covered on the podcast, but stuff that covered that happened off the podcast, yeah. world events, um, yeah. global events, and just our overall thoughts on the entire year. Yeah, so um, stay tuned to your podcast feed, and you will receive those uh, right away. No, uh, no worries about that. Those will likely not be live. Those will just be recorded. But, um, hey, we're live again this week after a little brief uh, stint in recording the last week. Yeah, can you believe last week was Thanksgiving? <laughs> <I know. laughs> so long ago. <laughs> I know. It's like time is just, it, it doesn't make any sense anymore. It's just time, lost all logic. Time is an illusion. <laughs> yes. It's a flat circle. Anyway, let's get started, though, because we have a pretty brisk show, I think, this week. Not a whole lot going on at the end of the year, as per usual. Mm-hmm. So let's get started with it. By starting with movies, and we always start movies, with the weekend box office numbers. So these box office numbers do include the five-day Thanksgiving forecast. Yes. And benefiting from that five-day Thanksgiving forecast, at number one was Disney's Encanto with a $40 million debut. Not spectacular, but this is a family movie, so this will have legs, and this will probably keep going throughout the holidays, and probably make pretty decent money, I think. I want to say it also suffers from from being a holiday movie yeah. that, or not just Hollywood, but a family movie that your family's probably not going to want to go out and see it the first weekend no. with every other family. Probably not, no. They're going to wait until December when you're tired of talking with your family to, <laughs> okay, we're going to go out and have some Christmas fun, or send exactly. them to the content yeah. when you go do your Christmas shopping. Or, you know, if you're, if you're two guys in your 30s, you might see it tonight, I don't know. Anyway... <laughs> So yeah, Encanto is your number one movie, followed by, at number two, Ghostbusters Afterlife with another $35 million. That's an 87. That'll make it 100. Yeah. Number three, House of Gucci with a $22 million debut. Lower, but expected for an Oscar bait kind of film. Yeah. Number four, Eternals with $11 million, adding to its $150 million total. Decent money for Eternals. That is solid stateside. For a movie that nobody is talking about. <laughs> yeah, that is, a, that is the definition of Cayman Wind. Yep. Like, I feel like Shang-Chi at least had a little bit of conversation that lasted. Eternals, though, no one cares. It depends on who you talk to, though, because mm. some people I talk to say they absolutely love it, okay. and some people say they absolutely, like, 
did they yeah. needed to exist trying to figure out why this thing existed. Probably one of those it's those very yeah. split decision movies. It'll be interesting to see what people say looking back at that thing in the yeah. future. Well, we had the same kind of thing with Guardians of the Galaxy came out. Yeah, people absolutely loved it. People were like, "This is too crazy, yeah, comic booky for me. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't want to get it." So we'll see. So we'll see. We'll see. Which is weird because which is kind of funny because they're both on the comic <laughs> side of the MCU. Right? Yeah, because <laughs> it's a harder sell. I mean, yeah. we talked about it when we talked about uh, Eternals or when you talked about Eternals mostly. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a harder sell. It's the harder sci-fi stuff. It's a little bit more esoteric. It doesn't catch into like what we usually think of as the MCU, your, you know, your uh, typical uh, MCU heroes like the Avengers. And so it's a harder sell for people who aren't familiar with the comics. They're like, what is this? How does this relate? And so, yeah, it's confusing to a lot of people. Then rounding out your top five, Resident Evil, welcome to Raccoon City with an $8.8 million debut. Like we said last week, if you knew this was a thing, you probably went inside. Yeah, you probably were the person seeing this and putting that money into their pockets there. But that's only the movies that are out so far. We have one release that came out uh, yesterday and two to look forward to next week. Two, uh, or at least one heavy hitter coming at you. Yesterday was Wolf. A drama mystery crime thriller. <laughs> About a boy who believes... He is a wolf, in case the name didn't give you that hint already. And also Christmas with the Chosen, colon, The Messengers, for oh. your uh, religious... Yeah, you know, your, your usual Christmas movie Christmas for movie. the Christians there. Yep. And then next weekend, everything get out of the way, well, except for one thing, because Spielberg's West Side Story adaptation is coming to theaters finally. That is next week. Um, who knows? We may actually talk about it. Maybe. We'll see. Um... Yeah, uh, keep uh, keep an eye out for that. Then also, National Champions. Yep, it's a football movie. Ah, okay. All right, well. So, something uh, a little for every, everybody there. Yep, uh, uh, student athletes. About student athletes, football oh, movie. Okay, all right. With J.K. Simmons. Oh, J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Cool. Well, but it's, hey, it's, but really, it's West Side Story. Yeah. That's really what West people Side are going to be seeing. Uh, really good early buzz. For West Side Story, people are saying that it's uh, it's what you want it to be. Uh, early critic uh, screenings happened last week, and yeah, pretty positive. Yep. Do you know there are no subtitles in West Side Story um, when they speak Spanish? You just Spanish, you just roll with it. It is. It, it is, is what it is. is. All right, let's move on then into movie uh, news. Our first story. Hey, we're always talking about new deals with Netflix, and yet another creative partnership has happened. This time with. Antoine Fuqua. Am I pronouncing that last name correct? Uh, sure. (laughs) How would you say it? Uh, the other way. What other? Oh, no. Yeah. That's wrong. (laughs) Probably. I'm going to say it's probably wrong. Probably wrong. (laughs) Uh, so, Antoine has entered a new creative partnership with Netflix, focusing on feature and documentary films. The multi-project agreement comes on the heels of the streaming premiere of The Guilty, for which star Jake Gyllenhaal... Is currently making a warrants <laughs> round. Sorry, I heard a voice. It, was, it must have been Taylor you somewhere. Mean, you mean unbathed Jake Gyllenhaal? <laughs> yes. Um, is it currently making awards rounds? As both a director and producer, Fuqua will execute the agreement under his newly renamed production banner, Hill District Media. Quote, Working with Netflix on The Guilty was such a rewarding experience, both from an artistic and collaborative point of view, Fuqua told Variety. 
Fugo's credits include action classics like the Equalizer franchise. No, it's franchise, but there's only two. Right. Shooter, which I think is just one movie. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Training Day, everyone's favorite. Yeah. I mean, the one that basically made yeah. brought him to uh, yeah. and household name. A career, yeah. A career. He's in the midst of a flurry of scripted and non-scripted projects, including Emancipation, the record-breaking $130 million Cannes film package that sold to Apple, starring Will Smith, Amazon's The Terminal List with Chris Pratt, and an untitled docuseries about the Los Angeles Lakers. Okay. Yeah. So if you're a fan of The Last Dance, that might actually be pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, that untitled docuseries mm-hmm. could very well be that Kobe um, mm. Last Dance kind of mm-hmm. uh, documentary that was filming during his last season. He's yet to see the light of day. That could be pretty good. But everyone knows that a camera crew was following him during his last season. All right. It's just only a matter of time until that actually premieres. I guess we'll see. If he's behind this, I'm all for it. Yeah. Sounds like like a quality deal. Sounds like a a dude who's in a lot of, involved in a lot of interesting stuff. So uh, hopefully good things come out of it. Um, Do notice though that. Those projects that we did mention, Training Day, Shooter, and Equalizer, mm-hmm. all spread out. It's not like yeah. he pumps out, he no. moves out one by one. He takes his time takes and his with time. his craft. So yeah. I'm excited about this. Yeah. Good deal. Could potentially be good. Yeah. All right. Our next story takes us to, hey, it's award season, everybody. And we start at the same start. We always start. Yes, let's start it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Gotham Awards, which, yeah, not super big, not a big deal. But if you're in New York, they matter. Gotham Awards, two big winners of the night were streaming movies, The Lost Daughter from Netflix, and CODA, that's all caps, from Apple Original Films. The Lost Daughter, a Netflix drama and debut writer, a debut from writer and director Maggie Gyllenhaal, both Gyllenhaals making it to the news Ooh. this week. Wow. Walked away with four awards out of five nominations, including Best Feature, Breakthrough Director, Screenplay, and Outstanding Leading Performance for Olivia Coleman. Apple received a nice bump for Coda, its heartwarming summer release that debuted at Sundance, with Troy Kotsur winning for supporting performance, becoming the first deaf actor to receive an acting prize at the show. His chances for supporting actor recognition have increased significantly in what could be a trajectory similar to Paul Racy's for Sound of Metal at the 2021 Oscars. Other awards went to lead actress Kristen Stewart for Spencer, lead actor Peter Dinklage for Cyrano, and the cast of The Harder They Fall, hoping for some SAG love down the line. And as we always say at the Media Boat Podcast, SAG love means Oscar buzz. So look for that in Oscar time as well. Because SAG is the biggest voting block for the Oscars. Yeah. Meanwhile, looking at other awards races here, Drive My Car, the Japanese drama co-written and directed by Ryusuke Hamaguchi, based on a short story by... Haruki Murakami, and the country's submission to the international feature Oscar race has been named the best film of the year by the New York Film Critics Circle. So keep an eye on that one too. The group also voted on Lady Gaga as best actress for her portrayal of Patrizia Reggiani in House of Gucci, while Benedict Cumberbatch nabbed best actor for The Power of the Dog, which I've never heard of until just now, but that's a really good name or something. That's on Netflix. Okay. The Power of the Dog. It's on Netflix, yep. Uh, I think it's a Western. Or like she's in Cowboy Get Up. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> this does mean that Drive My Car is currently your frontrunner for international yeah. um, 
Awards. So look for that. All right. With news out of the way, you saw a movie. Yes. Well, I saw a play. Well, that's not a movie. But it was on Apple TV. Or Apple Plus. <laughs> in movie format. I recently learned that apparently this is called a pro shot in the business. Okay. Is when they're, like, the Hamilton thing on Disney Plus, for yeah. example, is called a pro shot. By is that Broadway what they're people. calling them now? That is what they're calling them. According to Christy, who is a Broadway expert, yes. she says that that is called a pro shot. So you watch the pro shot of Come From Away. Okay. Now, this, did this come out this year, 2021? Um, yeah, it said 2021 on it. Right. Um, I forget when I was watching. I think it was the Macy's, uh, Macy's, Macy's Thanksgiving Day yeah. Parade. And then, like, a, the trailer came out for Apple and said, Come oh. From Away is on it. Okay. I was like, oh. What is this? That's interesting. So I've heard of this musical. I've not seen it. I've, like, I only recently heard of this musical. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting concept. Yeah. And then it said that it was on Apple Plus. Um, Apple Plus. And I was okay. like, oh. I might as well watch it. And you did. And I did. What do you think? So, Come From Away is a story about 9-11, but not in New York, but rather in Newfoundland, Hmm. where all the planes who were going to New York or Dallas or wherever, entering U.S. airspace, got diverted to the small town of Gander Hmm. in Newfoundland. Okay. So, the city... Newfoundland? Newfoundland. 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 Welcome to Newfoundland. <laughs> oh, there's, a story, there's a song on that. So. Um, so, yeah, so the story of Come From Away is about all these planes that got diverted there to yeah. this small town and how they had to house some, like, 30,000 people from planes okay. um, in their small town for a week until they were able to leave um, from aircraft control. To cross over into U.S. airspace. Because mm-hmm. for the first time in, like, in existence, post like, immediately following 9-11, airspace in the U.S. was restricted. You yeah. could not fly for a whole week. Yeah. Um, so, it's about the town and how the town came together in the midst of a bus strike and um, town feuds that... Mm-hmm came together to support not only themselves as a town, but also all these people oh. who were tragically stranded okay. there and how they cope with what's learning about what's happening in the U.S. and mm. kind of like the, the those initial fears mm-hmm. coming from that post-9-11 era. Okay, all right. How's the, how's the music? How's the songs? Very catchy. Yeah. The stomping, they're clamping. That only I I love the music in this. My only uh, kind of gripe about it is that because it's a play, mm-hmm. all the actors play dual roles. Yeah. So you have to figure. So it's kind of hard. Like, oh, if that actor plays this role and this role, yeah. depending on what outfit they're wearing. Yeah, yeah. That would be my only gripe is that they switch yeah. so. And you don't rapidly. have the playbill that tells you. This person is so and so and so and so. Yeah, you have to go based on context of what right. they're saying and kind of like where they are in the play. Yeah. So. Okay. But that's like a play thing, though. Yeah, it's it's if you're used to that kind of thing, it won't be that bad. Right. I mean, kind of similar to like Hamilton, how they play two different parts in the first act and the second act. Right. But here, they switch back and forth. Yeah. So here they switch back and mm-hmm. forth so rapidly, like. Wearing a hat, you're wearing a jacket, you're wearing a, 
glasses, <laughs> it, it switches back and forth so quickly that you kind of need to be paying attention more. Yeah. But like I said, that's very much a play thing where you're playing multiple roles at a time. Yeah. But besides that, you had a good time with it? I had a good time with it. Um, there are, it does break some um, kind of play aesthetics where it shoots it behind them mm-hmm. into the audience mm-hmm. where it does break that illusion of you're watching a play. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, depending on what, uh, like, the director is thinking and, like, the approach that the director is having for the pro shot, mm-hmm. um, you'll get two diff- very different kind of ideas. You'll get more dynamic versions, like what you're describing, mm-hmm. and then you get uh, Hamilton, which is very conservative in that kind of zone. It's very zoomed out. It's very, like, no, we want to make sure that you remember that this is happening on a stage. It's very stagey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just different, I guess, schools of thought, I guess, for people uh, who are approaching these kind of projects. Yeah. It just moves really fast at yeah. points, especially when they need pe- multiple people, multiple players to talk about multiple different mm-hmm. um, characters. I liked it, though. <laughs> I liked how fast it was. I yeah. liked the music. It's yeah. catchy. I just... I think this can exist in play format and probably not translate well to an actual like film. Yeah, you may get run into kind of like the Evan Hansen type <laughs> of problem where it doesn't yeah. quite play one to one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Besides, I mean, that's kind of a bad example because of Evan Hansen's <laughs> content material. <laughs> yeah. But it is the most recent thing I can think. Right, of. Right, right, right. It is a, a good comparison point for twenty twenty one releases. Right. The recent adaptation. One thing we will not be talking about our year and wrap up. Dear Evan Hansen. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, cool. Um, Did you watch anything? Uh, no, nothing new. No, uh, we're doing some catch-up. We may or may not uh, catch up on Cruella. Now that it's on Disney+, Plus. we might pop that in tonight, uh, okay. depending on if, if we end up doing that. Now, does this count as a movie? No, no, no it's a television. All right, If it's multiple parts, it's television. That's why I talked about it in television last week, but we'll get there. We'll get there, trust me. So, for now, I guess that means we can move over into television. And we always uh, start the television section with the Sports Corner. We actually have a corner to play, too. Okay, well, there's one big sports story that we'll get to, but it's so big we've carved a spot into television news for it. So, before we talk about that, let's talk about uh, the rest of the world in sports. Mm -hmm. Including the WTA has pulled all events from China. That is the Women's Tennis Association. Thank you. Following a story last month, where 35-year-old Peng Shui, a former doubles world number one, used a post on Chinese social media website Weibo to accuse 75-year-old Zhang Goli, the former Chinese vice premier, of having her having coerced her into sex. Her lengthy post was quickly deleted by Chinese censors, and Peng disappeared from public for more than two weeks, as the WTA and colleagues said they were unable to reach her. She was able to come out and say, I'm fine, everything's mm-hmm. fine. That's good. But this is very reminiscent of what happened to the Chinese actress, mm-hmm. um, Fan Bingbing. Yes. Well, yes. I want to say last year or two years two ago. Two years ago. Where she disappeared from social media and right. the spotlight only to come out later and say, oh, everything's fine. Yeah. Very, very similar circumstances. 
Yeah, it's it's another one of these stories, and this, these stories come up every year at this point, where uh, China just ha- is has an iron like fist around all of their media. Everything that they that the, the country uh, has is just owned by the government. Like the government has so much power, um, and so they have the power to censor anything that they deem controversial or anything that uh, speaks against their government. And so, yeah, this is just a, another example, latest example in a long, long list of these. And it's ridiculous. It's like if if somebody so powerful in the Chinese government has done something like this, the public should know about it. And Peng Shui is very brave to have said this, very, like, trying her hardest to get this story out there. And it sucks. It, it sucks that she can't, she doesn't have a forum for this. I mean... Obviously, the differences in government between China and here, like, yes, it's a big can of worms that we do not have the broad, we do not have the, 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 the ability to really speak to it and the volume we would need to to address all of those concerns. It would be its own special <laughs> podcast episode. But what I will say is that this sucks, because if this has happened to you, yes, I believe that if you have the, have the, have the ability, you should have the ability to say something about it, to try to knock down these people in power and yeah and it sucks that the chinese government just swept the rug right on from under her um and hopefully hopefully she'll get her justice hopefully she'll be able to tell her story but for now she just has this big impenetrable roadblock in the way which is unfortunate yep. uh when the wta pulled all events from china it said from china and hong kong okay to be clear to be because, clear <laughs> because the chinese government does not want to recognize Hong Kong recognize as, as one entity they want to separate yeah yeah so it was kind of a jab at that mm-hmm. saying like we recognize Hong Kong as a separate entity yeah. so we're specifying China and it's Hong Kong really specific yeah so yeah it, it's, it's kind of like when you recognize what is it type yeah Taiwan? exactly there's a similar thing with Ta- uh, with Taiwan yeah. whenever that's rep- rep- represented nope just ask John Cena about it <laughs> just yeah <laughs> for sure Let's move on other stories in sports. The NCAA playoffs have debated expansion to eight teams with one round ga- with first round games played on campus. However, if they can't agree if Power 5 conferences receive auto bids or not, that's apparently the biggest holdup with upcoming with an upcoming meeting in January to decide their fate. So explain what's going on here to people who are so, not familiar with college football. So, for the first time since the college football playoffs began, which is like about Five years ago now, Alabama, Clemson, and the Ohio State (laughs) are not going to make it to the uh, playoffs. What? Yes. The tide will not roll? No, the tide will not roll, the Tigers will not roar, (laughs) and the Ohio State will not not have the V. (laughs) Will not be in the college playoffs. (laughs) So, in order to rectify this yes mm-hmm. there's talks about expanding it to allow kind of those teams to make it now what they should do is have those power five conferences like your champion mm-hmm. is automatically entered and then that just leaves the next three top schools yeah to make it like if there's and i say that if there's a team that is undefeated out there mm-hmm. looking at you cincinnati currently undefeated you deserve a spot in the playoffs. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. But there's only four currently. If they expand it to eight, yeah. Uh, I mean, the reason they don't do that is because then that's just an extra game of wear on these players and athletes mm-hmm. who, remind you, 
aren't being paid by the school. Uh-huh. Right. They're doing this pro bono. Correct. Um, so, it's currently up in the air. Yeah. I can see this happening, but this talk only happened because, like, the top three schools that you expected to see in the playoffs <laughs> Not there. didn't make it. So they're like, yeah. oh, how do we rectify this? Yeah. It sucks that that's the reasoning for it. But it's an interesting concept to get more involvement from schools you don't see a whole lot. It's an interesting idea, and I guess we'll see more after this meeting in January. Right. But if this does come to pass, expect two teams from the SEC to yeah. get in there kind of automatically. <laughs> Alabama, LSU, yeah. or um, Georgia, yeah. who's currently, I think, ranked number one. Okay. So, yeah. Usual suspects at some point, but hey. Yeah, they want that SEC money. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of money or loss of money, we move to the professional leagues in the NFL where Antonio Brown has been suspended for three games for, guess what, everybody? Violating league COVID protocols. So I don't remember, did we talk about this on the podcast? I don't think we've talked about Antonio Brown. We may have mentioned him in passing, but I don't think we've had a story. Okay, so Antonio Brown submitted a fake vaccine right, card. Right, yes. Which came to light because of his chef, Antonio Brown didn't pay, that he received texts asking him if he could get hands on a fake vaccine card that he could submit to the league. Oof. Ouch. Now, Antonio Brown and like two other players have been suspended for three games for violating the league protocol. Yeah. Meanwhile, everyone on Twitter at least is pointing to, or at least trending around, but Aaron, yes, as in Aaron Rodgers, right, still only got like a fourteen thousand dollar fine, right? And for, he got to play, and still got to play. Yeah, it does seem a little lopsided and uneven with how they're doing these punishments. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Now the Antonio Brown does make sense because he submitted a fake vaccine card, whereas Aaron Rodgers. Well, Lie to the yeah, media. Yeah, I'm saying that it, it makes sense that they're being punished, but what I'm saying is that those have to be, like, even punishments. Like, they can't be, like, easy on Aaron because he's Aaron Rodgers, right? right. Like, there has to be some sort of balance there, and we're not seeing this with two, these two players. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. It's like, how about just not letting them play at all, like, until they get their shots? Like, why aren't we doing that? Like, yeah, that's an NFLPA, <sighs> the Player right. Association. That's a Player Association thing. So the league can only do so much to punish them. Yep. But at least make it consistent, guys. Uh, speaking of leagues not doing enough. We move now into our biggest sports story of the week. Which, if you're a baseball fan like me, well, it really puts a damper on your spring uh, plans, doesn't it? Oh, we got spring training plans. Well, we might not. <laughs> uh, in fact, I keep getting emails about yearly ticket presale for spring training, and I've been deleting them because I'm like... I. I don't want to pull this trigger and not being able to actually go to these games. Yeah, this would be the second time that we've um, <laughs> yes. made plans uh-huh. a year in advance. And then it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So, for baseball. Yeah. Well, this year, though, it's not COVID that's the culprit. It's the owners, because the MLB has been forced to commence a lockout of all the major league players effective at 12.01 a.m. Eastern Time. On December 2nd. So it's in progress as we So think. because we're on the West Coast, yeah. at 9 o'clock yes. Monday, or on December 1st, yeah, it happened. It all happened, and I'm just like texting everyone practically, yeah. it happened! It happened. Walk out! See, I had seen it ahead of time. I was like, okay, this is going to happen. All right, this is going to happen. Yeah. 
Despite the league's best efforts to make a deal with the MLB Players Association, they were unable to extend a 26-year-long history of labor peace and come to an agreement with the MLBPA before the current CBA expired. During a lockout, in case you're wondering... Right, which is different from a strike. Very different. In fact, you could argue it is the opposite of a strike. Which is a labor relations tool used by management to keep employees from working until a deal is agreed upon. Which, like I said, the opposite of a strike in which the players or the workers withdraw their work to make a deal with the management. This is the opposite of that. Um... Lost my spot. (laughs) Uh, Team officials and players cannot communicate in any way. So, Major League free agency and trades of players on 40-man rosters end immediately. Which is funny because literally up to that deadline, there are still deals deals being made, there are players being signed. Yes. Well, that ends now. In fact, if you go on to the MLB.com website, they've even pulled stories about current players. Anybody who's currently in the Players Association... Eliminated from like the, the the website as a whole. The, all their news stories They're now. They were snapped from existence. Yes, it looks like that because if you go to their news stories now, it's all about retired players. It's all about the Hall of Fame. It's all about like best ever stats and shit stuff that they can do without having to actually make deals with the players' <laughs> associations. Fascinating. Um, quote: It was the owner's choice, plain and simple, specifically calculated to pressure players into relinquishing rights and benefits and abandoning good-faith bargaining proposals that will benefit not just players, but the game and industry as a whole, said the MLBPA in a statement. These tactics are not new. We have been here before, and players have risen to the occasion time and time again. Guided by a solidarity that has been forged over generations, we will do so again here. End quote. Some of the most contentious aspects of the negotiations center on attempts to alter free agency and compensation, and ways to inspire more competitiveness across the league. As part of recent negotiations, the MLBPA proposed changes that included free agency after five years of service time instead of six, salary arbitration earlier in players' careers, and a raising of the luxury tax threshold, among other things. The three previous lockouts did not result in any regular season games missed, though, so here's your history lesson for you. And if the league and union want the same to be the case in 2022, the latest they can strike a deal is early March. Which, again, puts those early March spring training games in question, whether they will actually take place. So we'll be up until basically the week of those games to figure out whether we're actually going to go. Which sucks for us, because it means that those tickets are going to be hard to get. Right, it also means planning. Yes, it's going to be even harder. harder. Thankfully, in our situation, we might not need a hotel. But... Are we really going uh, yes. to really go out there? Do that. Don't do it? It's going to be hard to get time off of work, too, mm-hmm. because I recently found out uh, some, one person on my team is also going to be gone that weekend. So I'm like, well, this well, all just went up in flames, didn't it? So it. we might have to have some other backup yeah. plan for this. But, uh, so, yeah. of note, um, yes. the last time something like yes, this like happened... Yes, like the mid-90s, right? 94. 94. The last time MLB did not have an actual season yes. was the 94-95 season. Right. Or that no, thing stalled one count. The nineteen ninety four season. <laughs> yes, and yes. then they picked back up in nineteen ninety five. So yeah, uh, we'll see what happens, but it's not looking good. Uh, again, this is the opposite of a strike. So this just sucks all the way around. This is not in the players' uh, favor. If anything, the players now will have to make some sort of like con, like like some sort of like uh, cut of what they want in order to make the player uh, the uh, management happy, which. is bad place for the players to be so because management and team owners cannot communicate with yes. the players 
It means the players cannot use team facilities. Yes, that too. They have to go training on their own. They have to communicate with other players on their own. So when we do eventually get a season, it'll be probably a weird one because we won't have the same ramp up that we used to, that we traditionally do. Yep. (sighs) So yeah, it's This is yet another way that the league is trying to screw over the Angels. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, you just hired, you just, uh, you just got these new pitchers. Well, they have to warm up their own arms because you can't touch them. Oh, you, you have two um, MVPs on your team? Yeah. Nope. No. Nope. 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 Sorry. Nope. We're, we're going to chill them. We're going to put them on ice. Yeah. For an, almost, yeah, too long. So we'll see what happens with this. I'm really hoping there's some sort of conversation that happens sooner than later because, yeah, we, if we were waiting until March not knowing anything, this is going to suck for next season. Well, the reason they say March is because the owners or the NFL or the NFL Players League, Association. Yeah. Are going to keep coming back and forth the table. They're going to stretch it out as far as they can, usually up to that deadline. That's why that March um, yeah, deadline right. is kind of in place currently, because that's the last day until yeah. spring training actually starts. So, um, I believe we'll pitchers see. and catchers will report like the last week of February, like on the twenty sixth or twenty mm-hmm. fifth. Yeah. So until yeah, really until then, yeah, to get a deal done. Yeah. All right. Well. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed because, man, it would be really disappointing after being so invested in this past season that this next season might not actually happen. <laughs> I'm like hoping it does, but we'll see. Let's move on uh, into our second story here. A little bit of an update for you. An update plus an addendum, I guess, if you will. Yes. Remember our story about the Animation Guild? Yeah, I think that was last week. That was last week or two weeks ago? Yeah. Well, a little bit of an update for you. The Animation Guild's contract negotiations unfortunately have broken off without a deal, but will resume later next year. Quote, an agreement was not reached today, says Alexandra Drosu. Drosu? Drosu. Okay. Sounds like a sci-fi character. Sounds like a Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) Drosu, Drosu. Um, The Guild's Director of Communications and Content told Deadline, quote, we will have to continue negotiations in the new year, though no date has been set, end quote. The Guild's current contract had originally been set to expire on July 29th, but was extended to October 30th, and was extended again to allow Yahtzee to work out a film and TV deal, as we mentioned a few weeks ago. That contract was narrowly ratified on November 15th, but the Animation Guild bargained separately and was not part of those talks. Major issues for the Guild include better terms for streaming shows, a significant pay increase for animation writers, and an outsized raise for the guild's lowest paid crafts. Meanwhile, while all this is happening... Mm-hmm. On the other side mm-hmm. of what's been going on for literally yes. decades... Yeah. A new organization, the Property Masters Guild, has been formed to, quote, provide professional continuing educational opportunities, cultivate future generations of property masters, and foster greater collaboration amongst property masters and the craft. Joshua Meltzer, whose many credits include Dexter, Will and Grace, and Two Broke Girls, is the Guild's first president, with 78 other founding members. The new nonprofit professional association is not a labor union, however, for collective bargaining purposes. Prop masters are covered by Yahtzee, Prop Local 44. Founding member Chris Call said, quote, On set, it is the property master who maintains the integrity of the artistic design created by the art department. When the camera is about to roll and the director or the actor is struck with an idea to help out the story, it is the property master they turn to who pulls the rabbit out of the hat. 
So it's nice to see some organization happening on that side of the of the arc. As you mentioned, it's a group of people that a lot of people don't think about that is very important and um, needed for these productions to happen day to day. And so, yeah, it's cool that they're getting organized, even though this is not about their labor, or at least practices of their labor that's covered by Yahtzee, but it's just a way for them to kind of talk about issues and, like, be united in their in, in what their, their goals are going forward for Property Masters as a craft. Yep. Anytime an actor or, or anybody on set touches an item, mm-hmm. moves an item, those are... Prop masters. Yeah, prop masters. Prop masters. We're responsible for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it did not say in the article whether prop masters would be fall under um, armor masters. Because <laughs> that is recently in the news. Yeah, that's different. Uh, we'll be interested to see if that yeah. also comes underneath this umbrella. Maybe. I was hoping it Maybe would. Maybe it does. But uh, rewinding back to, to talk about the animation, animation. story. Because, uh, yeah, so this sucks for them. Because this means that we're going to have to wait possibly another whole year but like I said, um, I'm hoping that there is some sort of advancement on this at some point because, yeah, it sucks that these writers for animation are getting so shafted when it comes to price. Uh, but, hey. And this is something that is normal, especially in negotiations, as people get to the end of the year. Yeah. They're like, hey, holiday are coming up. Yeah. We want to put everything on the table and then come back in January or February with fresh eyes on this. Which sucks because, yeah, in an ideal world, we would not have this, like, we would be able to figure this out before we all go home to the holiday for the holidays to our families, but it's just not going to work out that it's way. It's a negotiation tactic. Yeah, it is. All right, well, speaking of negotiations, it's time to negotiate. Which shows you want to talk about that you watched this week? Because uh, we, uh, uh, you have uh, quite a few thoughts here. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, some stuff happened at work, and now I have uh, like <laughs> free time. Um, a lot of time to watch stuff, apparently. So, when, what, what do we want to talk about? So, um, last week, yes. you we talked about the extra lengthy documentary <laughs> yes. that is Peter Jackson's Get Back Beatles documentary. And we have both now finished it. Oh, like, like a foot-long sub. <laughs> like a three-foot sub. It's a party sub, yeah. Party it's, sub. it's definitely the party sub of media. The party sub of television. <laughs> yeah. So you, you should not binge it all in one day. No, no, I agree with that. It's something that you need to meet out a little bit and, you know, put in the fridge for, for, for a little bit, come back to it the next day, yep. and then it tastes just as good. Um, and by the time you're done with it, you're like, you know what? That was really satisfying. Maybe a little long, but it was really satisfying, and I feel good about, about meeting it out and not just mm-hmm. eating the whole thing in one sitting because I would have been on the toilet all day. So uh, <laughs> how do you feel at the end of it? So, uh, I fortunately did that. I kind of finished <laughs> all of it in one day. Yeah. Um, definitely not recommended. No, not recommended. Not recommended. But, but, I was shocked, mainly at how much footage they actually yes! got. Yes! And that's not even, the, that's just the top of the iceberg. Yeah, that's just, hey, yeah. we have all this footage in right. stock. Wait, what do you mean you have yeah. 190 hours <laughs> worth of footage just on hand, yeah. untouched? Yeah. About the Beatles that right. no one's ever seen. Right. What, what, what do you mean? It's just been sitting there collecting dust, and we never know knew what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Same as Peter Jackson, you're our only hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how so, do you think he did? What is <sighs> what by the end of this thing? What is it like? What do you feel like the story is telling? What is this thing? Because I think we talked a little bit about it last week, but 
These were kind of first impression thoughts. So, uh, having gone through all three episodes, I think yeah. this journey can be broken up into three folds. Yeah. One, the creation of an actual album. Yes. Two, how the Beatles worked together and yeah. kind of their later years of all the tension between them and yeah. why them coming back together was such a big deal and how hard it was to even keep them together. Yeah. And the third aspect of this is just everything surrounding the music industry, everything else yeah. about like rights and story and contracts and <laughs> venues. Yeah. Oh. A peek behind the curtain, yeah. if you will, of how these things that we just took, we just take as fact and like, okay, they recorded this and then they, they did this movie and then this happened. The actual ability to see the process of how these all, all this stuff happened, like what the process was. And all within a month. Yeah. In 30 days. Yeah. That, uh, like, the fact that some bands and even some artists <laughs> take months and years to put out an album. Yeah. And the Beatles just came back together and said, <laughs> we have a deadline of the end of January because we need to be out of this space by then. Yeah. And let's put an album together. Yeah. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the most wild parts about all this is you can hear it in the music. Now, having seen it... Mm -hmm. It explains a lot of why Let It Be, the album, turned out to be what it was. If Okay, so going into some Beatles talk here. I don't yeah. know how familiar you are with the catalog. Are you, My mom do you think loves of yourself the Beatles. As, okay, your mom loves the Beatles. Do you think of yourself as a fan? Like, no. Are you invested? Okay. No, uh, but my mom absolutely loves the Beatles, yeah. so that's how my Beatles knowledge right. um, comes together. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, so yeah... Um, so my story is a little weird, elliptical. Uh, so my parents also were Beatles fans. Well, to an extent. My dad uh, is one of those people who really likes the earlier stuff and then kind of drops off in this era. Mm -hmm. He he doesn't think very highly of the stuff on Let It Be and Abbey Road, for instance. Mm -hmm. He's, but up until that point, he was a fan. And, so we, and I heard a lot of that music growing up. But I didn't really think of it that much until around 2009, which is an important year in Beatles history, because... If you can dig back and remember this, it was a year where they re-released all of their albums. Mm -hmm. It was available for the first time digitally. Right, on Apple. And also, a little game called Beatles Rock Band came out right. and made it interactive. Beatles Rock Band changed my perception of the Beatles. It got me into thinking about the songs as songs instead of just as things I've heard for my entire life. You know, you know that because you know the feeling. You start hearing things differently. Yeah, yeah. Because I think what happens with songs, with music that's ubiquitous, if you hear it too much, it becomes almost wallpaper. Mm -hmm. Where you're just like, all right, this has always existed. This is, will always exist. I always hear this. This doesn't track to me as something that is music that has structure. That was how the Beatles were up until that point. Then all of a sudden, something switched on. I was like, oh, actually. And so over since then, I've been actually able to dive back into the catalog, especially now that it's available on streaming. You can listen to all of it mm -hmm. and actually appreciate it in a new way. And I've become to actually appreciate it. So it's interesting in com like if you compare the stuff on Let It Be to the rest of the catalog, there's some good stuff in there, but it does have a weird feeling of incompleteness, almost rushed feeling <laughs> to the package that came out. Especially when you consider the aftermath that happens after this documentary it, it, documentary ends, where they decide to, well, actually, we're not happy with this mix. Hey, do you want this, Phil Spector? 
and they hand it to Phil Spector. Mm-hmm. Phil Spector does a Phil Spectorized wall of sound version of these songs. And Paul notoriously hates it, but it releases anyways. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really interesting artifact of their legacy. And seeing the process that went into it in this way, all of a sudden everything makes sense. You're like, oh, that's why this sounds rushed. Because it was. That's why it sounds incomplete. Because it was. Because you see these songs kind of take form. But we're in a weird slapdash way that doesn't feel like they were perfected or owned. It feels like they were, well, we have this. Mm -hmm. It's really telling that some of the versions of these songs that appear on Let It Be were literally recorded from that roof performance. (laughs) Because that was the best take they had. The best take they had was an improvised roof performance of something that they had done so many times. It's just wild to think about it, but you can hear it in the product. But because they're the Beatles, it's still good. Mm-hmm. If you put the, any other band in this scenario, it would probably end up way worse. Yeah, that's probably one of the things that I, <laughs> that I loved about uh, this documentary yeah. is that Full concert at the very end. Oh, it's it made that sequence worth it. Is so perfect because the way that Peter Jackson does it is brilliant because he's like, okay, we have multiple shots that were filmed for the Let It Be film. Let's show all of them. Let's show every angle that the camera is caught. Yep. But at the same time, let's also tell the narrative of this other uh, footage that was caught during the same time, which includes some local police officers <laughs> trying to shut that whole thing down, and it ends up kind of being. A classic British farce, in a way, where you're watching these officers struggling to figure out how they can shut it down, when actually they are totally powerless because it's the Beatles that are up there doing this. Right, and then also <laughs> random interviews with like, "Oh, you like this sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know who the Beatles are? Yeah, yeah. That's uh-huh. them playing. Oh, oh, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, or like, like, oh no, I don't like the Beatles. Like, they're they're, not, they're, they're bad. The whole thing just ends up being. I, I saw a tweet the other day. It was like. The, the 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 struggle that the, the the police officers have during the the rooftop concert is the best comedy of the year. <laughs> I legitimately had like belly laughs yes. watching that thing several times. It's just brilliant, just what he was able to do with this footage. So yeah, I came out on the other side of this being like, it's long. I don't think all of it really is that great. Like maybe there's little bits and pieces that absolutely are kind of boring and don't need to be there, mm-hmm. but. As a whole, the thing that exists, it's amazing that it exists. It's amazing that they put it together. It's amazing that we get to see it because it's, like you said, a peek behind the curtain in a way that we've never seen before, in a way that few other artists can even, like, we can even see. Like, this footage does not exist for some bands that I think it should. Like, it makes me want this for other bands, right? Like, to get that process, to see that version of this because it really gives a new perspective on how music gets made it's a fascinating piece of history that has only come to light yeah um did peter jackson do a good job here with what he had i think so yeah i think so uh there was one bit in there which um was when they had the audio recording from the teapot in the cafeteria (laughs) yes I thought that was a little, like, fly on the wall. Yeah. Very, like, almost, I shouldn't be listening to this yes. kind of conversation yes. that happened. But I'm glad that it's there because I think that it's, um, it's an interesting perspective. Because 
it makes you think of how interesting these people are in the Beatles. Like, it's so easy to just think of them like, oh, they're the Beatles. But when you start thinking of them as, inter- inter- you know, like, specific individual personalities, you get why these dynamics were so strained. But also, sometimes, why they got along so well. Because you mentioned specifically in kind of the second pillar of your three-pillar, like, take on this thing. That you can see the strained relationships. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing that the narrative that this adds to it, to the story, is it wasn't always strained. There's moments where they're having fun with each other. Yep. There's moments where all of them have pure joy and are, and are working together in a really positive way. It's just that the strained stuff is so important to the legacy and why this was their last live performance and why it kind of ended like months after this happened. That that's become so much of the story that we just assume. Oh yeah, they were about to break up, but but you can see why they were friends, and you can see why in moments why they were a band, and so it's that up and down dichotomy, right? And you also get that glimpse of kind of the Beatles lore of yeah. Yoko Ono, yeah, in uh, with uh, John Lennon. But I think it's very smart here that they show that she doesn't do a whole lot. And she's not really actively trying to disrupt anything. Right. And so that urban legend that she brought the whole operation down, I think this finally buries this. Mm-hmm. I think like that, that that's such a that's such an old like thing at this point. And this finally is the right. document the, that the proves. Old, don't be our Yoko. It's like, no, she was just sitting there. And then you also see everybody else had their partner in the room at some point too. Yeah. In fact, one of the most fun segments in this thing is when um when Linda's daughter is in there with the band and gets to, like, gets to just improv with yes. them. It's fun, and you realize, like, oh, no, it wasn't just, like, it wasn't just Yoko hanging out. Everybody had their turn, like, hanging out with the band because it was that kind of vibe. It was just mm-hmm. like, I don't know, come in, hang out with us. Yeah. It, it, and so, yeah, so I'm hoping that, yeah, that, that theory is kind of put to bed by this at this point. But, um... But yeah, it's just it's, it, You're right. That intimacy, that feeling of maybe we shouldn't be seeing that, happens a lot in this oh, yeah. in this in this series. But it's kind of neat that we get to. It's kind of neat that we get that feeling of uncomfortableness because you're like, oh yeah, that's right. But it also fleshes out the story. It makes it feel more real. It makes them feel like real people for the first time, probably in my life. Um, I did enjoy that you didn't just get the songs um, from the Get Back record, but mm-hmm. they played a lot of their back catalog, just <laughs> jamming it out, yeah. like trying to think of new songs. Like, well, we can't yeah. think of anything, so let's just play some of our hits and yeah. get back into the groove. Yeah, and in a way, just as it makes them feel like real people, it makes those songs feel like real songs again, yeah. where it's like, oh yeah, that's right. They just didn't like record this and it exists and they forgot about it for the rest of time. Which is easy to think about if you're, say, 30 and never lived during the Beatles, you know. Um, but it's, it's interesting. But yeah, it makes them feel like, oh, wait, no, they're musicians who learned and practiced these songs over and over again. So, of course, they think about them all the time. Of course, it's on their mind. Of course, John will just start improvising an old Beatles song because it's, he wrote them. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, of course he loves. Like, it's part of who he is. And it's just, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. It is a fascinating thing. And... We will definitely talk more about it in your year-end wrap-up, I think, because this yeah. is, it's a wild thing that even exists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even like two like the probably best songs from the Beatles, um, Let It Be and Long and Winding Road. Interesting that that's your opinion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
almost didn't happen. They were struggling yeah. with those songs. Yeah, they, because they were such they were such Paul vehicles that he was trying to he was having a hard time selling them to them. Yeah. It almost and the lack of conversation around Let It Be specifically yes. makes it seem like Paul was just willed into existence. <laughs> he was just like, "Hey, I've got this piano number called Let It Be. If you guys want to play on it, you can." <laughs> and it's kind of ultimately what it ends up being. It's like is just like this tossed off like yeah. It just it's Paul's song that we just have happened to play on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do think that yeah. all the stuff with George Harrison was oh, yeah. super fascinating. Yeah, it is because it kind of isn't necessarily come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. but the way it comes out feels very real because it's in the middle of a conversation where you could feel the tension, even though it's not like yelling. No one's yelling at each other really. No. It's just, in fact, the yelling already happened at this point. What's happening in that in that moment is just weird like unsaid stuff and that's when george gets up he's like all right i'm done i'm out because you can feel that he was just over it you can just feel like he was like i if i had the option of not dealing with this bubbling nonsense then i can just leave and do my own thing for a while and the way the band reacts to that is also interesting yeah, I don't know. We could talk about it for hours, honestly. There's so much in here. There's so much Well, substance. it is eight hours. <laughs> That's true. Well, six hours of constant footage, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Man. It's, it's, it's great. It's, it's great. If we haven't said that we liked it, I think we should probably say we liked it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also, we should say that you should, you should watch this, even if you're not <laughs> a fan of the Beatles or just music in general. Yeah, if you're a fan of music and want to see a little bit of how it gets made or how it was made in 1969, mm-hmm. this is the perfect example of this. This is going to be something I think you're going to see in music classes yes. going forward. Be like, a teacher could pull this up and be like, hey, you want an example of somebody recording something to like an eight track recorder? Here, here's that. You want an example of somebody doing a live concert in 1969? Here, here's an example. Oh, I did love all that. That like, <laughs> yeah. Paul McCartney just had like all these eight tracks in his basement. Like, yeah, oh, just bring it from my house. Yeah, <laughs> I will so record wild. all those. <laughs> it's so wild. Like they were on the forefront of so much stuff. This mm-hmm. was it, notoriously this was around the time where they were finally bought into stereo. Up until this, they were a pretty much mono only band. Uh, this was the first record that they were like, no, actually, we got this set up now. We can do a stereo recording. One of my favorite bits, again, we can talk about this for hours, but one of my favorite bits is them talking about that four-speaker yes. monitor setup that they have. It's like, so I forget who says it, but they're like, no one has four ears. What is this for? <laughs> and looking back at that in a world where 7.1 is standard yes. is hilarious, right? Because you're like, no, they were just learning that this technology existed. Right. This was brand new. Trust me, you'll get it. <laughs> It'll make sense. Just wait. So... Wow, just, just, it's incredible. It's incredible that it exists. Mm-hmm. But we have to move on. But we have to talk about other stuff. Because you watched other stuff. Other stuff. Yes, I watched other stuff. Not as good as this. No. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, real quickly, I'll talk about two stuff that um, are sequels. Well, not sequels. Second season. Oh. Kind of final season. All right. All right. Uh, first up, Saved by the Bell, Odd Peacock, season yes. two is out. Okay. So both of these. The, so both Saved by the Bell and F.S. Frank Family. I'm going to talk mm-hmm. about both of them. Okay. But both have kind of the same thing, the, the same theme, which I've been harking on for TV <laughs> to do, Yeah. Um, especially over the past like three or four weeks here, is do better. <laughs> and that's the thing for both of these uh, seasons yeah. is we can do better, we need to do better, and we will do better. Both Saved by the Bell and F.S. Frank Family, the, the final season, okay. harken back to that phrase of just do better. 
Saved by the Bell has its continuous high school hijinks. I don't like that they keep trying to force ways of stuffing the old cast members into this. Almost as if, like, the writing staff is, we don't really want to touch high school, but we also kind of need to fan the flames of people who like the original Saved by the Bell. They have to give people what they want, which is seeing that classic show. Yes, but then you're forced into situations of kind of force-feeding these people that you know into situations just so you have a reason for them to be there. Right. So do you think it approaches a little too much into the meta kind of feel and not enough original stuff? When you have Zach Morris become a substitute teacher (laughs) so he can spend time with his kid, Mm -hmm. that is the definition of ham-fisted way of, I want to shove the the original cast member into this new uh, series so he has a reason to stick around. Right. It's stuff like that that definitely pulls me out. But a lot of stuff they talk about like in it about um, kind of like I don't want to I, I don't want to say that it's um, how do I put this delicately <laughs> woke. <laughs> sure, but. But it does address a lot of these new issues that sure. high school students are dealing sure, with. Yeah. And kind of um, one of the ones that I really like is the power dynamic that was brought up in the first season that didn't lead to a lot um, kind of kind of made a pinpoint into the second season is the power dynamic between the haves and haves nots yeah because that's the whole premise of this of this new reboot of Saved by the Bell which is one of the schools in the lower end district closed so everyone shuffled mm, to the high see. to the preppy um Bayside, Bayside School, yeah. yeah. And that was the interesting power dynamic from season one. Most of that is shoved to the side, except for one plot line here. I kind of wish they did more of that. Yeah. But they are... One thing I do like they do is that they're telling a lot of different stories and kind of using their platform to tell a lot of different stories so everyone feels represented here. Right. But in doing so, you do teeter on that edge to this being a very I don't I don't, I don't, I don't I want to stop saying woke but that's kind of like what it is yeah I think it's a it's a delicate line to walk because you don't want it to sound preachy yeah. you don't want it to sound like alright we get it but you also want to be able to address these things in a realistic way while still being a comedy and sensibly and that's yeah that's a hard line to walk and I think very few shows nail it yeah but at least they're trying like at least it does it seem like they're doing a good enough job here right but I mean, that's why I think that um, at least they're, they're trying. They're trying to do better. Yeah, yeah. That's or, good. That's admirable. Admirable that yes. they want to at least try to be a progressive show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like it's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. And then there's F is for family, right? Which is yeah. the whole thing has been always about that line because yeah. the characters or one specific character is supposed to be like this, like. We're struggling with that line. Right. Yeah. Um, well, this is also the final season for it. Mm-hmm. And the whole struggle for this final season is, do I just continue repeating the cycle right. that was my father onto me, onto my kids? And <laughs> the dad struggling with this. Yeah. Eventually, spoilers, he doesn't actually do it. Okay. But that kind of makes it more human. Sure. Makes it feel more real. Yeah. But... 
because he doesn't do it, but at least he acknowledges that this is not right. Yeah. And every every single character in the in the show has that realization that this isn't right. I don't like where this is going. I can't do something about it right now, <laughs> but I can be better right. going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's it, it's interesting take because I feel like Bojack Horseman kind of did this already yeah. in the animation on streaming sphere. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting to get a slightly different take on that. I think where Bojack eventually landed was, yeah, he tried and he gave it a shot at the end there. But ultimately, the final episode of that show does kind of leave it up in the air exactly about what his fate was. Whether or not he was actually punished for the worst actions that he did is kind of left for you to decide. So on this, does it kind of give you a similar kind of ambivalence where you're like, this character is ultimately decide, like ultimately going to be who he's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the, everyone around him has told him, and he's least aware that this is not it. But maybe, who knows what the next step is. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what the next step is? It does kind of leave it open, yeah. Um, especially as new relationships are blossoming. But from where the characters were in the beginning of the series to where they are now, total character arcs. You can see the yeah. change. You can see the dynamic. Yeah, and you're right. It's interesting to that they make that choice because it is. You're right. It is the most realistic option there. It's like because yeah, it's not like uh, life is not going to be like a perfect sitcom. It's not going to be no. like all of a sudden, oh, they've seen the light and they're going to be completely different, change their entire fiber of every of their being. Mm-hmm. No, it's not going to happen. It's going to be a process, right? And yeah. that's kind of what um, the main character Frank goes through is that he's chasing the ghost of his dead dad, yeah, trying to figure out what his like dying last words were, only yeah. for it to be, I want to say, not relevant, but. Almost a joke to where yeah. the main character Frank just decides to give up, like yeah. give up on the chase, give up on trying to live up to the ghost of his dad's expectations at this point, yeah. and start setting the new example for his family, for his new child. So we talked about these shows like thematically, but are they good? Are they funny? Like, did you enjoy watching oh, Saved by the Bell and as for family? I enjoyed watching F as for family. Okay. Um, probably not so much Saved by the Bell, <laughs> teetering on that. I know yeah, you I really, really like that first season. Though. I did really like so that first season. So that's disappointing a little bit yeah. in the second? Yeah, season's a little bit disappointing. Yeah. But I did really like the um, finale for F is for Family. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to go back to it because it is yeah. kind of complete. I mean, that's the same thing with, like, Bojack. It's like, I don't, I don't want to do that again. Right. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was good the first time, but oh boy. But if yeah. you're ever if you're interested in it, especially in Bill Burr's kind of humor, sure, it, it's all there. Is that... It's all it's all there, ready for you. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, something completely different, but also on Peacock. Yeah. <laughs> in the comedy sense. Yeah, I'll just be really quick about this because I've only watched the first couple episodes. But uh, hey, yes. two media boat favorites. Yep. Do you like holiday baking shows? Yes, I do. Do you like? Andy Samberg. Yes, I do. Do you like Maya Rudolph? Yes, I do. What if I told you there was something that could deliver all three of these things to you? And like a holiday baking challenge? Hosted by Andy Samberg and Maya Rudolph. <laughs> well, that is Baking It, and as the name implies, it's a spinoff of Making It, which was the Amy Poehler and, um, what's his name? Uh, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman, sure. You were going to see Ron Swanson, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but good call. Uh, but yeah. 
This is a baking version of that kind of show. And this is exactly what you think it is. If you watch any of the baking shows on Food Network, you know the structure of this, and this is exactly that. Uh, but the twist is, is that it's hosted by Andy Samberg and Maya Rudolph, and you get everything you'd want from them as hosts. They'll be completely ridiculous, making jokes the whole time. They will just do goofy songs whenever they feel like it. There are pre-recorded, some like animated animated segments that come up in there. It's very cute. It's very funny. If you like their senses of humor, it's a it's very that to the point where this is maybe not for families. Okay, and it, it's on that edge where it's like every once in a while they'll do something that's like, all right, okay, who is this for? <laughs> Uh, but the answer is us. The, 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 uh, that adult line? Yeah, a moment. little bit. Every once in a while, like, some of it will be like, all right, this is not for kids anymore. Um, but I think that's interesting. It, it reminds me a bit of Lego Masters, where you're constantly realizing, it's like, oh, they're playing around with the format a little bit. They're getting a little adventure, like, a little adventurous with what this thing can be, what this traditional structure can do. And I'm having a good time with it. But it is just that. It is a baking show. I'm getting a baking show out of it. One cute thing that they do is um, another kind of a, a hook that the show has to make it a little different is the judges are not professional uh, chefs. Instead, the judges are a team of grandmas. Uh, the grandmas. And it is the cutest thing to watch these grandmas like talk about like their grandkids and their <laughs> and how they won a hundred blue ribbons for their key lime pies and stuff like that. And their interactions with the the contestants is very cute too. It's a fun time. It's a great cozy uh, show with moments of weird anarchic humor. And it, I think that they nailed the balance for it. And I think it's a fun time. So, yeah, it's on uh, Peacock. Yeah. Uh, are all episodes streaming on Peacock I believe right they now? are. Uh, okay, so but, you yeah. can binge it all I if you want. I think you can. But, yeah, right now we've, I've only watched this the first Well, there are, what, hour episodes? Eh, hour? Actually, I don't know. It doesn't feel like the full hour. So maybe between 30, 40. I okay. think they're, like, mid middle of the road there. But, yeah, good time. Okay, uh, st- I assume standard baking challenges where you do the, like a preheat and then a main heat. It's a two, yeah, it's a two. It's not a, it's not a three like a British Bake Off. It's a two. Yep. Except for the second episode, which they called the big old bake, which is just one big cake. Oh, uh, just one big cake. But yeah, sometimes it's yeah. It seems like their normal format is. Oh man, are they flying by the seat of their pants? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's fun. Um, it's yeah, it's what you think it is, but it's a good time. All right, comedy holiday baking. Comedy holiday baking. It's it's just perfect for this kind of time of year. So. Perfect. But there's one thing that we need to talk about. You yes. watch this. I am hesitant to watch it because of Riot as a company being, you know, iffy. But I've heard some good things, and that's kind of what made me want to, yeah, like check in on it. Tell me about Netflix's League of Legends Arcane. Yeah, so this is where video games and TV crossover. Yes. Um, as Arcane, the League of Legends TV show on Netflix, mm-hmm. people have been talking about it. People yeah. are saying it's good. It's getting kind of good reviews on IMDb. And yeah. Tomatoes. People I'm like, like this thing. People like this thing. So okay. What is it? What is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, it's hard to, to pinpoint where it is <laughs> because League of Legends and their champions as a whole are very vast and yeah, very diverse. there's hundreds of them. Hundreds, literal hundreds of yeah. them. Yeah. So to take, like, Two most of these, <laughs> one, just to, like, there are a hundred roster down to your two or three main characters, uh-huh. 
big bridges right there. Yeah, yeah. Up. It's a big swing to take. Yeah. Yeah. But I almost feels like the story they want to tell is being told here just with a mask on of League of Legends on it. Okay, so this doesn't necessarily... You don't have to know anything about League of Legends no. going into this. You just have to accept this is a fantasy world, and these are two characters in a fantasy world. Yeah, this is a fantasy world. Yeah. There will be characters and kind of um, lore hidden within each shot that mm. points to it being League of Legends. But, but not required. Not required. Um, a lot of it is... About the story of these two sisters mm-hmm. and how tragedy, like they're orphans and tragedy strikes them. And one takes a villainous righteous path while one takes the underground path. Uh-huh. And their lives kind of weave and intersect. Mm-hmm. And, of course. You know, it's right. interesting dynamic conflict just with the League of Legends kind of masked over it. Yeah, and we should say this is a CG show. Yes. But. Animated. From what I understand, what I understand is, is people really think this thing looks really cool. Like, how's the look of this thing? People seem to be gushing about how beautiful the animation is. Weirdly, it kind of reminds me of Gearbox animation. Oh, like a Borderlands cutscene? A little bit, yeah. But better than that, right? But better than yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> Very artsy, very stylized. Yeah. Um, lots of cell shades everywhere. Sure. Um, but it works. It definitely makes the world have its own feel to it. Cool. Um... Like I said, this feels like it's its own story, just set in in that universe, in the League of Legends universe with the League of Legends mm-hmm. champions characters thrown throughout the series. Yeah, like, oh, I, my my knowledge for League of Legends is probably like Zero. bare minimum, and I probably have less than you. <laughs> like I played Wild Rift. That's, that's my <laughs> that's my baseline for yeah, this. <laughs> so I, I recognize oh. That's this person. No, that looks like this person. Yeah. Oh, that's that kind of champion. So it does provide backstories to these characters, mm-hmm. albeit at points necessary and unnecessary. Sure. But, I mean, that's kind of like the thing about uh, League of Legends, that there's a champion for anybody. You can be yeah. anyone. That's kind of the, the reason why, your, yeah. Your play style. And the thing is, is that Riot's been doing such a... I was going to say good job. They've been doing a job of trying to get into every single kind of media as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's books, there's comics, there's now a TV show, they're planning movie, you know, like they're, they're trying to get in every S, like part of their lives because of how flexible League of Legends is mm-hmm. as a universe. They've made it so vast and big that you can tell so many stories in that world. Yeah. So how is the story? Is it interesting? Do you like these characters? Is it compelling at all? It's very compelling to um, to that of Avatar. Okay. In where it's set in a fantasy world where there's both magic and realism. Yeah. Kind of smashed together. where they mm-hmm. Right on that edge of where they meet between fantasy and reality. Okay. Between, I, I say Avatar, but I really mean like Legend of Korra. Right, right, right. Where, it, where that like technology kind of meets... Magic. Magic. So that, it's a technology versus magic kind of yeah. thing here? Yeah. Okay. Where you're trying to harness what is magic yeah. for the masses into a technological age. Okay. But at the same time, it's about these two sisters yeah. and trying to mend the bond and trying to um, be in each other's lives while focusing on two different sides of the law. That sister's thing and, and that dynamic kind of reminds me of... Um, 
uh, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon from earlier this year. Yeah. That kind of vibe. They weren't sisters in that, but you know what I mean. No, but I didn't kind uh, of get that vibe. Same kind of idea. Too. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting concept. And here's the question: Do you think I'd like this? Do you think I should no. give this a shot? No. <laughs> That's, That's a weird quick, thing. Though. That was a quick no. That's a quick no. <laughs> That's a weird thing because about this. I was almost sold by this conversation so much. I'm like, maybe I should give this a shot. Because one thing that, that also this kind of reminds me of is uh, Kipo in Age of the Wonder Beast, the show that I really mm-hmm. liked from last year. Right. And I'm getting similar vibes here. So, But do you think this is different enough that it's not? I think it's different enough. Um, it does also focus... It, it does because it, it also is about kind of, of technology split. and magic, or like right? But it mysticism does split kind its of. time yeah. a lot between focusing like on the technology and the high council, and yeah. then with the sisters and uh-huh. kind of their struggles. So you think it goes and then to the underworld, and then yeah. like the overarching like mystery plot developing. So it's but, too maybe it, it has too too deep into the fantasy angle for maybe it would potentially lose me a little bit. Each episode at times feels like its own separate mm. themes and narratives. Okay. To where you can get tonal whiplash mm-hmm. um, binge watching this thing. Sure. Else. Now, that brings us to the other question. Are you going to finish this? Oh, I already finished it. Oh, you already did it. Okay. Yeah. How many episodes Nine. in season one? Nine. Okay. Nine episodes. Not too and bad. I think it got picked up for a season two. Yeah, yeah. It seems like already they're talking about expanding this. Right. I think that's also why I watched it. Yeah. got season two. Like, okay. Everyone's thought, I've yeah, got season two. Yeah. Let me see what's about. Yeah. Um, it was either this or it was La Brea. And I was sure. not going to watch an no. hour of La Brea. Oh, the Tar. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. I'm not going to watch The Tar. So I watched the 30-minute <laughs> Arcane on Netflix. Yeah. So, uh, did you like it? I enjoyed it enough. All right. But that's also because, like, I have, like, some knowledge in, sure. like, League of Legends. Yeah. Um... But, like, from a fantasy element, storytelling, mm-hmm. I think it's done really well. I can okay. see why people right. want, like, really, really like this. Yeah. It does have that... I think that what sells people on this is that family bond with the sisters. Sure, yeah. And their struggle to remain sisters and be a part of each other, even though life is tearing them into <laughs> separate... Um, right, dimensions. the situation they're in has made that difficult. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds interesting potentially, but uh, but yeah, I don't I don't know if I should give it a shot. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll continue debating that. Um, <laughs> just for warning, it does do a time jump between like the first two episodes and then like the back half, uh, okay. to where it starts off them as kids and then jumps to them as adults. Right. So. So it picks up. Well. Okay. Well, interesting. Um, so that exists. Okay. It exists. Um, Anything else in television? That Nothing else that I watched. Um, Hawkeye is continuing. Yeah, still exists. Still exists. Dickinson still continues. Uh, yeah. so Hard Knocks still exists. Hard Knocks still exists. And uh, what else is still in progress? Uh, um, oh, Amphibia. Amphibia. Very close to its finale. Yep. Uh, not both. Uh, both. Okay. So all network TV, their winter finales are coming up yes. this week. Soon. So, so stay tuned for those. Those are winter finales, not season finales yeah. which means right. expect your big budgets kind of your emmy um, yeah. submissions to appear in your television viewing series very very soon but in the meantime let's move on oh that is other stuff that i've been watching but i'm not going to list it yeah. here is all the holiday specials right well we do not have the time for we, that we don't have the time but you know they're all the same all your yeah. see your, your country christmas your rockefeller christmas the basic thanksgiving day parade 
any even. Um, yeah. They're all holiday specials. Yeah. So watch them at your own discretion. Yeah. That's why we're not going to talk about Annie here. Yeah, we won't. <laughs> also, I didn't watch it, so I can't talk about it. Well, oh, well, it's, it's Annie. You've it's Annie. You've seen Annie. Yeah, it's Annie. <laughs> I, I can't, like, sell you on Annie unless you've watched it. Can't stress this enough. It's Annie. Yeah. Let's move on to cancellations and renewals, then. Sci-Fi has renewed Chucky for its season two. Chucky forgetting it exists. Yeah, um, yeah. it exists. It's Chucky the series. Yeah. Hulu has announced season two of Pen15 will be its last, so uh, tune in for that soon. And then uh, Prime Video over at Amazon has renewed The Outlaws for a second season. AMC has confirmed that the second season, the upcoming second season of Kevin Can Fuck Himself, it will be its last, which again, makes sense. I think where we kind of landed on that thing is like, there's only so much you could do with this premise. Yeah, because otherwise (laughs) you're just running around in circles of... Right. Why is this... Why is she still not killed him? Like, yeah. <laughs> why is she still not killed him, too? Why has she not left him? And how is she not, like, institutionalized? Yes. Yet? There's a lot of conversations yeah. out there. Fox has renewed Lego Masters for a well-deserved season three. Mm-hmm. Excited to see more of that. And Disney Plus has canceled Turner and Hooch reboot after one season. Why? Well, I actually like that show. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Again, maybe there's not so much more you can do with it. Right. And in deaths, well, a couple deaths, actually. There's one you don't have that I'll mention. Uh, but first, Lee Elder, age 87, was the first African-American to play in the Masters Tournament. Yeah. Um, big deal at the time Yeah, uh, when that happened. Um, yeah. You know, Masters, traditionally, golf itself. Golf has a long history of being kind of a racist institution mm-hmm. with country clubs often barring uh, minorities from playing. Uh, that affected professional golf. So... Yeah, definitely an important person in the sport. Yeah, um, Lee Elder, first person to play in the Masters tournament. Yeah. I think it was either 2019 or 2020, they actually celebrated him oh. on his anniversary of playing in the Masters tournament cool. with him doing the initial tee-off oh. with Tiger Woods. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's a nice little thing. Uh, also, we didn't mention this in sports, but Tiger said uh, after his uh, car accident that he's probably not going to play professionally anymore. I did not read that. I saw that he was uh, hitting balls and doing practice. Yeah, but he had some sort of press conference where he was like, "Ah, yeah, I can maybe do it, but I can't do it up to the standard that I won't want to. So he said he's no longer going to compete, is what Hmm. he said. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see that. I I, I saw a story about it, and then I heard it on NPR the next day. Maybe he's already moved that back. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know, because they're like, only a month ago, like, he was out there <laughs> right. showing, showing videos of him hitting the ball. But he said he wasn't yeah. confident enough in his skills now. All right. But, uh, your mileage may vary on that one. But um, but the other death that I wanted to bring up real briefly, it's not necessarily in our... Um, in our... <laughs> okay, I guess he's already taken it back, because yeah, now apparently yeah. he's going to go back to T- playing. Tiger considering a comeback at the PNC <laughs> in two weeks. <laughs> well, just take the entire thing I said and just throw it in the trash, because Tiger... Notoriously keeps changing his mind. Uh, anyways, let's talk about the what I was going to say, which is there's another death that I want to talk about real briefly here. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Tiger. Um, uh, so this doesn't. This has a little bit of crossover with music because this person was very important in hip hop culture. Uh, Virgil Abloh, uh, who is a uh, fashion designer and also uh, responsible for the Off White fashion brand. 
He passed away this last week. He was in his 40s, I believe. Um, yeah, very important for the fashion of hip-hop and had a lot of... Um, there he is. Um, and had a lot of influence on the look of hip-hop culture. And so, yeah, very important to, to that uh, genre of music. And okay. so he will be missed by a lot of people. A 41 died of cancer. Says. 41. Okay. All right. With that, we can move on to the second half of the show. I toss this over to you. And we start uh, music with the billboard. Music. We start the billboard with the Hot 100. Yes. And easy, easy on me. Number one again. One again. Adele, easy on me <laughs> at number one. Uh, at two, Stay by the Kid Leroy and yep. Justin Bieber. At three, Industry Baby by Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow. Uh, dropping down to number four. Get ready for parentheses. All Too Well, 10-Minute Version, From the Vault, Taylor's Version, <laughs> by Taylor Swift. <laughs> and rounding out your top five. Oh my god. I called it! You called it. I can call one! Ring, ring. Okay. Ring, ring. I have, to, I have an apology and a glimpse to make here. Yes. My apology is... Yes, if you rewind the tape about a couple months ago, yes, I know I was wrong about Halsey's uh, song being a single. It wasn't. Apparently they sent it to radio and nobody played it. So I was wrong about that one. Mm -hmm. But I called this one. <laughs> I said, this is her radio single. Sure enough, I heard it on the radio last week and it is charted at number five. So I called it. You called it and they answered? Yeah, I, I, they actually answered this one. They I was right. So not bad too well, but at least I got this one right. Hey, 500 is still better than most people. True, true that. 500 will get you in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, oh my God, by Adele's your number five. So yep, rounding up your top five. Oh my God. Not, not that oh, uh, not that OMG. No, not, uh, not, yeah, no usher this time. No, but Adele's. Yeah. As for your album chart, your Billboard 200. Yes. Hey. Shocked. He called this one, but oh. you don't even have to say that. No. Uh, no one shocked here. Yes. 30 by Adele is your number one album, followed by Red Taylor's version by Taylor Swift at number two. Yep. Certified Lover Boy by Drake at number three. Yep. At four, An Evening with Silk Sonic by Silk Sonic. And then. Which I talked about last week. And then, much to our chagrin. Dangerous called the double album. Back. Back somehow five because who knows because it just keeps coming back because someone's trying to specifically anger us <laughs> murder all I guess so anyway anyway still no no releases um, because it's December unless you're Taylor Swift yeah no 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 nothing. releases nothing nothing doing nope and my, might not have any new releases until the new year might be we'll see I'll check in every week still but hey yep. we'll see. All right. So, let's get into some music news. Yes, in case you were on social media this week, you uh, already know this was the case. Yes. Um, uh. Christmas came early as <laughs> everybody unwrapped their Spotify presents. And by unwrapped, I mean Spotify unveiled their yes. 2021 unwrapped campaign. That time of uh, the season where everybody does free advertising for Spotify. <laughs> yep. Oh, I listened to this artist. Yeah. I was 1% of this artist or this album. And, yep, Spotify gets all that free publicity from everyone talking about what they got this year. Yeah. And with those kind of lists come the top artists, albums, songs, playlists, podcasts, which we contended for again this year. <laughs> You're not um, on that list. <laughs> no, but we contended. We did. Also on Spotify. Yes. With more than 381 million total users. That's a lot. 
So, globally speaking, with more than 9.1 billion streams this year, Puerto Rican rapper Bad Bunny is Spotify's most streamed artist of 2021. That's, again, the second time in a row he was also that in 2020. Yep. Um, or as Dog, Stoop Dog called him, Bad Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is followed, was followed by the most streamed female artist of the year, shocked, <laughs> shocked, yeah, obviously Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. She put out two records this year. Yeah, and two last year. Yeah, and Adele only put one out like a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the most streamed song of twenty twenty one globally is Olivia Rodrigo's yeah. Driver's License with more than one point one. Billion streams. That's a lot. Everyone played that when it came out. Yeah. And then they continued to play it when it was on sale. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second and third spots, respectively, are Lil Nas X's Montero, call me by your name, and Stay by The Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber. The year's most streamed album globally is Olivia Rodrigo's Sour, followed by Dua Lipa's. Future Nostalgia. Still hanging in there. And Justin Bieber's Justice. Yeah. You know, I kind of like those top two albums. Yeah, yeah, they're good. So yeah, not a bad year, uh, considering. um, Good for Olivia Olivia Rodrigo for making such a jump from nothing to everywhere. Um, And also, an interesting uh, scenario here, if Driver's License, as I believe it will, does well in the Grammys and wins possibly Record of the Year and Song of the Year. Uh, it'll be one of those rare instances where the numbers actually match up with critical reception. Yep. So, hey, we'll see. But we will see as the Grammys come around in February. Yes. Yeah, um, any surprises here? No, not really. I mean, Bad Bunny doing as well as he does is because it's an international market, and yep. he's huge internationally, yes, yes. as well as here. So it makes sense that he will be on top, at least until someone dethrones him. Yep. And like you said, Taylor Swift had two re-release right. albums on top of Taylor versions. On top of continued play for the two releases from yeah, last from year. Yeah, Folklore and Evermore. So yeah, obviously, and of course, more Taylor Swift being around in the air probably gets people to look into her back catalog too. Mm-hmm. Just a recipe for her being on top easily here. Um, not surprised. No, so. not surprised at all. No. But what is surprising <laughs> is... Not only does she have the number one song and. in the country and the number one album in but. the country, but she'll also soon have the number one residency <laughs> in Las Vegas. Probably. As Adele announced an exclusive residency at the Coliseum of Las Vegas' Caesars Palace Hotel beginning Friday, January 21st, 2022. Wow, fast. That's like soon. Yes. Titled Weekends at Bernie. I mean, yeah. Weekends with Adele. <laughs> The singer will perform <laughs> two shows each weekend through Saturday, through Saturday, April sixteenth. Please see the full list below yeah. for the total for a total of twelve weeks. <laughs> the date. <laughs> Sorry, I can't be amazing stars. <laughs> so the long rumored announcement comes on the heels of the singer's fourth album, Thirty. Yeah, uh, which as we said debuted at number one this week and is by far the year's biggest first week numbers with around 839,000 units being sold. Absolute unit. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> it also debuted at number one on album charts in 30 countries and is already one of the biggest selling yeah. albums of the year. 
uh, which it did in about three days, <laughs> topping Taylor Swift's Evermore, which had sold about 462000 Yes. Basically almost double. It's a very, very important to mention here that part of the reason for that is because they're counting all the vinyl records that were manufactured. Because yeah. this doesn't mean sold through. This just means sold. Yeah. So this is including numbers sent to retail. And I'm sure that as soon as those records were done, which she made sure that they were done in time, yep. they were sent directly to stores. So a lot of those numbers are that. This is not actually it's sold. Printed and sold, yeah. not actual retail numbers. So yeah, so take that as as you know for like a little grain of salt there, but mm-hmm. still pretty good performance for three days. So when we <laughs> had the story like a month ago about one Adele needing to make sure that the yeah. record was complete on time for print for printing, yeah. And two, that all the printing like around the world mm-hmm. basically went to Adele. <laughs> Here it is, eight hundred thirty-nine thousand. This is units. what her people wanted, and they got what they wanted because they made sure it could be this way. Yep. It was a calculated thing for it to, to be this way. I even heard on the radio coming up here that apparently Ed Sheeran was among the many artists who tried to rush their record to stores in order to make any vinyl sales. <laughs> apparently, that equals was a to the to the deadline kind of thing for him. Uh, what, yeah. you can't do it in a month? <laughs> I know, right? I was like, put him in a Beatles pressure room and then maybe see what comes out. Yes. Anyways. Anyways, uh, this Adele Vegas residency yeah. um, confirms, albeit delayed, the rumors that Adele was going to take her yeah. residency like four years ago. ago. Yeah. Um, right before Britney Spears? Was it before Britney? It was like in the conversation in around the conversation, that time. Yeah. So, yeah. Who knows? But um, thank good for her. She's um, reached a point in her career where she can kind of do whatever she wants. And this is one of those examples. Like, hey, just want to do some Vegas shows for a while instead of going on a grueling tour? Absolutely do it. Right. Um, also, note that doesn't mean that she lives in Vegas. No. <laughs> it just means that she will be in Vegas, in Vegas every weekend. Every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Good times for yeah. her. Anyway. Actually, I will be in Vegas during one of these weekends. Well, can we better snatch up those Adele tickets? I just might force um, someone to go there for their bachelor party. I don't party. think it will be a force, <laughs> but maybe. All right. No, no, no. Like, I'm going for a bachelor party. Oh, so you might force that person to do it. Yes. Yeah, whether they want to. <laughs> You're coming to Adele. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. Well, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, no thoughts, by the way. We didn't listen to any music. Uh, nope, as no music came out, they may be done with music. Instead, I was uh, doing uh, more re-listens to nail down my year-end wrap-up list, so stay tuned for hey, that. year-end wrap-up list coming to an audio near you. Yeah, <laughs> podcast feed near you. Yeah, but we need to wrap up uh, this game. podcast with video games. We start with Final Fantasy Well, upcoming 14. releases, we should say. Yes, uh, with new releases. <laughs> new releases. Including? Including. Final Fantasy fourteen colon Endwalker. Yes, the latest expansion to fourteen. Yep, for the PS4, PS5, and PC. From what I understand is that just like every one of these is, uh, everybody in the world tried to do it all at once, and so there were queues as big as 4,000 people last night. So if you try to get in on, early on Endwalker, you may be waiting for a little bit. Uh, there's also Monster Rancher 1 and 2. Yeah. DX for the Switch and PC. Remember Monster Rancher? Where you could put in CDs, audio CDs, into your PlayStation, and that would generate new monsters for you? No, that was a thing? Yeah, that was Monster Rancher on the PS1. Uh, 
So this is remakes of those. I don't know how they do the new generation now because you can't just put a, you can't just put a piece a, a, a CD in your Switch. So <laughs> I don't know, but it'd be interesting to uh, see what they what solution they've come up with. Maybe, but your big release of the week, yes, the one that yes. has been coming for yes, literally forever now. Forever now. Halo Infinite. <laughs> For the Xbox One, specifically Xbox X, the PC. campaign of Halo Infinite, because as we talked about last week, multiplayer is free to play and available now. Yep. But this week, Halo Infinite uh, single player campaign available to purchase, and if you're a game, uh, game Pass subscriber, available on Game Pass. Nice. So I will play some of this for next week. I will tell you all about it, uh, Halo Infinite, next week. All right. So let's hear some video game news, and as we started with the show. With the Gotham Awards. Yes. <laughs> we shall end with the Video Game Awards. Yeah! Well, or, um, you know, upcoming Video Game Awards. As they're not technically announced yet, I believe it's this upcoming week. Right? Uh, is it this weekend or next weekend? I want to say it's this weekend. Is it tomorrow? <laughs> it might be tomorrow. We're recording, like, early. Yeah, we'll find out. The <laughs> game. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit! Thursday. It's next Thursday. Next Thursday. So, so next, next week we will talk about some game awards, actual awards next week, and reveals world world premieres yes, next week. World premieres and exclusive premieres. But for now, there's some conversation about before the show starts. Yes. So, um, the man who keeps the the hamster wheel running on this thing, <laughs> yes, Jeff Keighley, stated uh, in a Twitter thread on Saturday that Activision, Activision, uh, currently the company under fire. Yeah will not be featured on the show beyond any award nominations its games have. Yeah. Quote, beyond its nominations, I can confirm that Activision Blizzard will not be a part of this year's Game Awards. The Game Awards is a time of celebration for this industry, the biggest form of entertainment in the world. There is no place for abuse, harassment, or predatory practices in any company or any community. I also realize we have a big platform which can accelerate and inspire change. We are committed to that, but we all need to work together to build a better and more inclusive environment so everyone feels safe to build the world's best games. All of us are accountable to this standard, said Jeff Keighley. Yeah. And that's big. All right, well, okay, so there's a couple of things about this. Um... First of all, it's good that, ultimately good, that Jeff Keighley said something about this. Because there is a version of this where he just didn't say anything about Activision's presence in the show. Mm-hmm. But the flip right. side of this is There's that a- he's doing it now. And before the show and not in the show proper. Mm-hmm. Which has made a lot of critics on Twitter kind of point out some hypocrisy. And I say some hypocrisy because... If you recall, a few years ago, they made a big stink about Hideo Kojima not being able to accept his award on stage because Konami was not letting him. Right. They then let him accept it and did basically a big F you to Konami on stage. And he made a, like, Jeff Keighley had a big, like, whole, like, thing about it. It's like, we wanted to make sure he got a platform for talking about how, how awful they were to him and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So a lot of people are pointing at that instance and being like, you could easily dedicate... A segment of this show, the show where millions of people are, well, not probably millions, but you know what I mean. A large community is watching this. Um, You could use this to say something on stage. And instead, he's getting this ahead of the thing and saying, we're not going to talk about it on the show. So, yeah. 
reasonable expectations. Uh, but yeah, no, that's not to say that there won't be any. No, we still don't know. We still don't know. There could be an eleventh hour decision that Jeff makes here to make some segment on the show. Mm-hmm. But for now, it seems like he wants it to be all fun and games, and not get into the nitty gritty of this. He wants it to be a happy time celebrating yeah. games as a medium. Yeah, and not have the dark cloud airing over his award show. So ultimately it becomes a, a question of uh, putting his money where his mouth is in this case. He's saying that he realizes that they have a big platform where these statements can be made and ultimately choosing not to make them on the big platform. So, you know, if you're going to say this stuff, Jeff, you have to do the stuff, is I think what I would, where I kind of uh, land on this. But hey, we'll see what, the, what they actually do with the Gamma Works. I should see if Activision or Blizzard win any awards. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think they will because they did not have a very strong... Like, pretty much Call of Duty is their only game nowadays. Right. So I don't know. Like, I don't think that they... they and this is not a particularly good Call of Duty year. So. I'm sorry. Oh my god, Siri. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what... When they would come up here, but... They, I mean, someone would be there, maybe, to yeah. accept an award. Maybe. Oh, the esports stuff might uh, talk about Warzone. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe? I don't know. Like I said, we'll have more information when it actually premieres yeah. on Thursday, and we'll talk about all the fallout from it. Maybe not actual fallout, <laughs> but all the fallout from it next week. Right, right. Next week. Next week's podcast. In the meantime... Oh, this story. You're going to love this story. Oh, I read this story. I was like, oh, this is hilarious. <laughs> it's really weird. The weirdest, hilarious story. It's real stupid, too. Yeah. All right. So, Hazelight. Yes. Um, of the creators of It Takes Two and other... And Brothers and brothers, A Way Out. And a Way Out. And other two-player games. <laughs> was forced to abandon its trademark application for the game It Takes Two, following a claim by publisher... Takes two. <laughs> so, uh, the game, which tells the game, it takes two, yeah. which tells a story about a husband and wife who are all, uh, headed for a divorce, <laughs> is the latest game from, like you said, the yeah. developer of Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, which I liked when it came out, and A Way Out, which we still have yet to play. Um, so, it emerged this week that It Takes Two was hit with a trademark claim. From GTA parent company Take Two, prior to its release for consoles and PC in March of yeah. this year. Following the claim, Hazelight abandoned its trademark application for the game, a, fi- a filing with the U.S. Patent Office shows. Um, a Hazelight spokesperson told Eurogamer that while the company, quote, cannot comment on ongoing disputes, <laughs> it's hopeful it will be resolved. <laughs> Take Two is currently contesting a host of other names linked to words like Rockstar, <laughs> Mafia, and Civilization. Uh, okay, so there's a lot to dig into here. I am not a trademark law lawyer. No. I could be in the future, maybe. It is a field that interests me a lot. Oh, but <laughs> I love talking about yeah, it here on the podcast. It's fascinating stuff. But what I do know is that okay, there's two things playing around here. One, part of trademark law that a lot of people don't quite understand is that, yes, you can't necessarily trademark something generic. That's usually something that's poo-pooed on. However, if you're very right. specific in the way it's being used, you have an argument. And that's probably what Take-Two is trying to do here. 
They're trying to be like, we are want to be the only people who can make games, video games, with these with these words in them. With the words take two yeah. on them. And since they're a publisher, any game that they publish yeah. will have take, take two, two on, it. on it. But yeah, these other words they're considering are all are also things that they that they've dabbled in. The one that's weird here is Civilization, yes. because that is not a game series that they make. Oh, the Sid Meier Civilization? <laughs> right, that's not them. That's not Take-Two. So it's really interesting that they're doing this. But Rockstar makes sense, because Rockstar Games is mm-hmm. under their umbrella, and Mafia makes sense because the Mafia games are also under the Rockstar umbrella. Yep. So yeah, this they're taking some real big trademark swings here, and it's unfortunate that something as generic of a name as It Takes Two, a name that is more often thought of in the music uh, realm than yeah, in the video takes, game realm. Or even like It Takes Two to Tango. Right, yeah. As it's, a phrase. It's a common phrase that it makes sense to make a game this. The fact that they can't even trademark it as a video game, even though it's the only video game called that, mm-hmm. because the developer, like because the studio, or because not the even a publisher, two. it just happened to be named Take Two, that sucks. Mm-hmm. So this is just another example of egregious trademark uh, stuff that is just yeah, it doesn't need. They don't need to be so being so draconian about it. Yeah, but here we are. But here we are. Trademark laws, trademark yeah. patents. It sucks. Take two. Take two. All right. All right. <laughs> Speaking of take two, we have two games. Well, yeah, I have two up. games. Follow up of two games to talk about real quickly because you finished them up. Tied them up in a tight little bow. Well, maybe a little bit more for Metroid for that bow to really be tight. Oh, I'll talk about it. <laughs> um, so, I got my hands on both K- Kena, yes. Bridge of Spirits. I got it briefly last week. I got it briefly last week. And Metroid Dread. Yes, which I played before. Yes, and you talked about before. Yes. Which got me to... Yes, try it. Try it. I told you you needed to give it you a shot. I need to give it a shot. All right, so, first up, Kena, Bridge of Spirits. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love this game. Right. Like when I beat it, I loved it. I loved every second of it. My one caveat about <laughs> yes. it is that after I beat everything and cleared a hundred percent everything, I'm forced to start a new game. Yeah. In order to complete the trophies, because there's Ooh. no like battle arena. Uh-huh. So some of the trophies are <laughs> um, combat based, uh-huh. where it's like, oh, defeat three enemies using this one attack. <laughs> You can't do that if you've cleared everything and beaten the game. Yeah. You can't go back and actually do that. Got it. Because um, I 100%ed before I faced the final boss. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, congratulations, well, you beat the game. So much for that. But, but my trophies. Yeah. Oh, and then there's also the thing where you have to beat it on um, hard mode, too, or mm-hmm. master mode. Mm-hmm. Like, I really don't want They're to Kingdom Heartsing you, is what it sounds like. Yeah. They're making you do all over, like all over again, whether you want to or not. Oh, here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to. So, yeah. I mean, on paper, <laughs> this game is made for you. It yes. is a game that's stylized in a fun animation style like a Pixar movie. And then on top of that, it's basically a PS2 platformer. Yep. Things that you love and are like in your video game DNA. Yep. So it makes sense that you'd love this game. Oh, I absolutely love this game. It's fantastic. Yeah. The world building is fantastic. The visual art style... From a first, um, well, one, they're local to us in oh. Orange. Hey, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're literally like right next to Chapman University. Whoa, <laughs> that's wild. I could, I, could, I could just walk right over to them. Yeah, Ember Labs. Um, huh. Neat. And 
Like, this is their first video game that they put out. And put out such quality content. Yeah. Only makes me excited for what they're going to do next. And I already love this thing. Yeah. I can only be more excited for what we're going to do with future projects. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's more Kena, Rich Spirits. <laughs> if it's other stuff, I'm fine with that too. I can see this world building being expanded not only into sequels, aging her up, but also into a prequel. It's going to the backstory, going to uh, the conflict with her and her dad before mm. this one. Okay. There's a lot of different ways they can go here with this world that they've built out. Yeah. It does feel very limited, it's, um, but that is also because it is a first game from a new yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what they're able to put together is fantastic. Um, very few actual glitches and kind of um, frame dropping I ran mm-hmm. into. Yeah. Um, if any. Okay. But if it did anything at all, it just confirmed how much I love the PS5 and its lack of load screen. <laughs> right. Because I was zipping yes. around everywhere. It's a lifesaver. It really is. so, so good. Cool. I'm uh, glad it's good. I'm glad it stuck a landing for you, even though it's making you do a little bit more work. It'll make you do a little bit more work. <laughs> I will, it will definitely show up on my end of the year list here shortly. Cool. So I'll talk cool. about more about it there. All right. But in the meantime... You played a Metroid game for the first time. Not only that, I'm currently playing it right hey! now. Hey! <laughs> That's what I like to hear. So, how has Metroid Dread landed for you? Are you enjoying your time in the world of Metroid? Um, so, this is my first Metroid game. Yes, ever. 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 First one. Um, I've seen people speedrun it. It's kind of one of my favorite ones to watch during oh, yeah. summer games. Done quick. I love watching Super Metroid speedruns. Um, uh, Austin Games Done Quick yes. coming up next in month. January. Next month. Beginning of the month there. Um, so, first time ever playing a Metroid game, just because it didn't go up with the Nintendo. Sure. And I've only played this based on what you said. Yeah. yeah. I need to play this game. Yeah. And I was like, oh, but I'll, like, I might run into the same problem that I did with Deathloop mm-hmm. and um, Fallout, which is I'll run into, like, it's all open area and, like, I won't know where to go. I'll need to look it up. I'll just get completely lost here. But that doesn't seem to be the case. No. Because it is very much a linear story. So the thing that they do really well in Metroid games, but this one in particular, Mm -hmm. is it's technically you can go anywhere you want. Technically you can explore. Technically. And I say the word technically because the game design itself is giving you enough of a path forward Mm -hmm. that it... There's a momentum to it that pushes you where you want to go, where you never feel quite like... Oh, God, I don't know where to go. There's so many options. There's just enough options that you can go explore, a, like, a little leg here for a little bit, but come back to the main main path. Yep. It's really, really well designed. Um, current, so, just to give you a brief tasting of how much I like this game, <laughs> uh, I received it on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I beat it um, last night. <laughs> And the entire time, um, Doctor was saying, wow, you're super addicted to that yeah, game. Yeah. And that's pretty much the, the premise of Metroid Dread. Yeah. It yeah. became super addictive. That was basically exactly my timeline, too. I got it on a weekend and played it every night for, like, several days into the week and then finished yep. it on, like, the on like a Thursday or yeah, something. She kept asking, <laughs> like, did you beat it yet? Yeah. Did you beat it yet? <laughs> can, can, can you take a break yet? Because <laughs> every time, like, you 
come to an end part. Yeah. It's like, oh, but now I can do more stuff. Right. That's um, the, there was, yeah. That is kind of one thing that I will point against was that as soon as I got something, there are times where I immediately got another thing. Yeah. I was like, oh, but wait, does this old thing not work anymore? No, it still does. It still does. But that, I just got yeah. the, the power-up version for it now. <laughs> I mean, you can like, explore more areas, too. And that's a weird Metroid balance that I think every Metroid has a slightly different, like, recipe for. Mm-hmm. This one does err on the fact of, like, we're going to constantly giving, get you new stuff so you never feel like you're, like, not progressing. The little bit of downside that you're experiencing about that, though, is that, hey, I just got this new thing. I feel like I didn't use it enough. Mm-hmm. And you do kind of, yeah, it does every once in a while give you something that you use maybe three times and you never feel like you really used it. But that's often the game telling you, but don't worry, you're going to get something that's like that, but better in just an hour. Yeah, it, but that's kind of my takeaway is that... Yeah. Why give me the half step? Right, if you can't just do the whole thing. Can't do the whole thing. A li- minor spoiler here for item pickup, if you care about that kind of things. That's the thing with the space jump and the, uh, or no, the, whatever they call the double jump and the space jump. Yeah. Is it's basically like, yeah, the double jump, yeah, you use it a few times, but what you really want is the space jump. Right, and then you get there, <laughs> the, the infinite spinning, and right, right. it's like, oh, but I could have just done this, like, here. Why, why the half step? And I think that's just to maybe, like, lengthen the game out a little bit, yeah. because some of the Metroid games have a length problem. Like I mentioned to you uh, pre-podcast, Metroid Zero Mission, the remake of the first game that's on Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. Um, that game, a lot of people were disappointed with how short it was, because they basically were like, let's trim all the fat out, let's just give you just the basics, and have it be a really snappy six-hour experience. Okay. This is a little longer, they want you to be with it a little longer, so they try to pad it out. By putting these stopgap items in the middle of things. And yeah, your mileage may vary on that. It didn't bug me too much because as somebody who's played these games before, I knew that it was a stopgap going into it. So I got the little double jump and I was like, ah, I see what they're doing there. We're going to use this for a little bit, but eventually I'm going to get space jump. And yes, that ended up being the case. Uh, I, it just felt annoying to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it did lengthen the game out. Yeah, yeah, a little panic for you. Yeah, um, so like I said, I beat the game. It took me... 13 hours, 11 hours, 13 hours on a, on a playthrough. Yeah. So you got 14, 14, about. But that was basically 100%ing it for yeah. me. So. Yeah, well, because as soon as I realized I was at the boss, it was like, okay, I'm just going to beat the boss. Right. And that's kind of one thing that the yeah. bosses do that yeah. you have to play them repeatedly. Yeah. You will constantly die. And I told you this when I was talking about the game is that they really kick your butt until you figure out the patterns. Yeah. I, I I love and both hate that in videos yes, that yes. you gotta figure out the pattern. It really you really do but that final boss. That final it. boss is one hundred percent pattern memorization, and once you get the patterns, you can breeze through it. Yeah. In fact, the example that I add is that I I finished the game. After I finished the game, I realized I was ninety nine percent. I missed one item. <laughs> I had to go back and get that one item, and then beat the boss again to get the completion again. But that second time around the boss, be the first time. Because I had already gone through the rigmarole of trying to figure out the patterns. Once I knew the patterns, I could basically have a damageless run. Because I was like, well, I know what he does here. I know how to avoid this. Right. I slide under his little you know, umbrella little, here. Little, I jump to the side for this. I, I yep. around. Yep. I parry him here. Um, and yeah, and so it's just one of those games that it almost requires you to figure the thing out in order to beat it. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, you liked your time with it. Um, I liked your time with it. Um, like I said, it's going to appear on your end of the year list. Oh, absolutely. Not, not a chance at all. May make mine, but we'll so. talk about that during our end of the year list. We will. Which will be coming up at the end of the month. Yes, so keep in mind that, yes, going forward, we will be spamming your feed with year-end wrap-up shows as we go on. Probably the right after Christmas, the yes. week of the 27th. So get ready for that. So I guess, yeah, let's wrap up let's the wrap show. Up Thank you for joining us for the Media Boat Podcast this week. We'll be back next week, as we said, with another episode with lots of uh, catch-up, including Game Awards uh, thoughts and whatever else we missed in the cracks this week. But for the time being, you can listen to us multiple ways. You can see us live and in video form on YouTube.com. Just search Media Boat Podcast there to find our channel. Like, subscribe, comment, whatever you want to do. Click that bell for notifications for when we go live on typically on Saturday mornings. You can also find us in your audio feeds on podcast services such as Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Yahoo, Yahoo. Yeah, what am I saying? <laughs> Amazon, Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, we'll be there. And like I mentioned, that's also where you'll find our wrap-up podcast in the coming weeks, so stay tuned for those. You can also find us on social media platforms like Twitter, where we're at MediaBoatCast, Facebook, search MediaBoatPodcast. You can email us if you have questions, comments, um, anything about the show. I checked the email inbox yesterday. No one's emailed us. Please email us. MediaBoatPodcast at gmail.com is where you can do that. And thank you for joining us. Yep, we'll be back next week, like we said, with the wrap-up of the Game Awards. Yes. Um, I know there's some more um, independent, I think the Independent Spirit Awards are coming out as well. Um, and I assume it will be <laughs> end-of-the-year lists for everything yes, else coming up. Everything is coming. So list season is upon us. We'll have our own list very soon. Stay tuned to this spot. In the meantime, have a good day. And bye bye And we'll talk to you guys next week. Oh boy. All right, bye. Kind of immediately, it's not like, oh.